0: Three of the ships that I have traveled on board are confirmed to be at the bottom of the sea today.
1: Hello, hi, hey, hey, hello, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstutter founder and podcast producer of Max Podcasting, and you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to save time with your high-quality podcast. This is episode 256, and today's guest is Thor Peterson. Thor has made history by becoming the first person ever to visit Every single country in the world without going on a single flight. That's 203 countries. He did it in just under 10 years, and he has the stories and memories to last a lifetime. And uh, that's what he's here to share with us today. In this episode, we talk all aspects of his journey, including preparation, what made him decide to do it in the first place, the most memorable moments from his incredible journey, how it changed him, what he thinks of the world, and some crazy, crazy, good, good, good questions submitted by you, Wild listeners. It is Thor. Enjoy the show. Brady, we are here with Thor Peterson, who I'm pronouncing in the uh, more Americanized English version because I'm not even going to—I'm not even going to try with the Danish slash even Finnish pronunciation. But Thor set a world record for traveling to every country in the world without hopping on a single flight. I have a million questions, and we have further millions of questions from wild listeners that we'll get to later in the show, because they always <laughs> come up with better questions than me. But Thor, really excited to speak with you and, and shocked that you're not, you know, on a boat or a, <laughs> a ship right now. How you, thanks for coming. How, how are you doing today?
0: Oh, I'm real good. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm excited about this. Of course, of course. And I, I think you, before
1: even saying a word, have have one of the most interesting backstories and life journeys of of anybody I've ever spoken to. Uh, The the biggest question I'm wondering about first is. How exhausted are you from all your travels?
0: I'm very exhausted. I mean, it's mentally uh, exhausting as well as physically exhausting. And I am in this transition of being back home. I've been home for about 70 days now, which uh, isn't a lot in the big picture. And, uh, I think we are, we're all familiar with the uh, military personnel that uh, do their service time overseas. And, uh, they, there's an adjustment period for anyone who comes back after something, uh, stressful and under, uh, special circumstances. And some of those people, they never really make it back home mentally. <laughs> and the question is, uh, will I? <laughs>
1: Well you seem you seem at peace at least at the current moment when you're traveling for a decade and boy have you traveled is there any sort of like extended long-term jet lag that after having so many trips back to back that you that you feel
0: no not not jet lag in in the sense that you're unfamiliar with which time zone you're in or that your body is unfamiliar with it uh, It's a slow travel so in that sense your your body copes with the, the temperature changes and the the time change as, as the time changes you're going from one time zone to the next but yeah no there's there's a fatigue that sets in uh, over the course of time I mean, I've met people who've traveled for a few months or three months or even six months, and uh, there's a fatigue that sets in where people are good and ready to go home. I've met a few people who've traveled for a year, very few people who've traveled for two years, and not many people who've traveled beyond that. And I made it to almost 10 years. So this is definitely a fatigue within that.
1: Do you have any trips for getting over that fatigue and, and, and keeping that wonder wanderlust uh, no matter how long your travels are? Uh,
0: I mean, I'm still very curious about the world. And there are so many places I haven't gone to and so many places I haven't seen. And there are even more places, I guess, that I would like to return to. I know people all around the world and I want to go back and rejoice and rekindle with, with many of those souls. There's, there's still a lot of good travel to be had out there.
1: Without further ado, let's get to once upon a saga. And so this is kind of the the name for your, your journey of going to so many countries and I, I think it was very ambitious for anybody to try to check off on their bucket list every country in the world, but you also made it a bit harder by saying, I'm I'm not gonna take any
0: flights. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, unnecessarily unnecessarily hard. Right.
1: What made you one decide to go on this crazy, curious journey, and two, decide to add in the no-flight factor?
0: The answer to both questions would be the same. But overall, I'm, I'm fond of traveling and I'm fond of exploring, but I didn't have any plans of visiting every country in the world. Not until I, back in 2013, discovered that no one had done it before completely without flying. So back in 2013, I think there were about 200 people who have managed to reach every country in the world. So, I mean, it's it's long gone becoming the first. Uh, Someone did that back in the 80s. But 200, that's not a lot, especially not if you put it in perspective. Uh, More than 550 people have been to space. More than 6,000 people have been on top of Everest. So 200 people is really not a lot. No one had... However, I managed to accomplish it completely without flying. And I thought that was significant. And I eventually took the task upon myself to do so. And um, I thought I would be able to do it in three and a half, maybe four years. (laughs) There were a few curveballs thrown my way along along the years.
1: What was... The moment that made the difference from this just being a fun thought to, no, I'm actually going to start planning and start getting serious about this journey.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, sort of like a fuzzy kind of timeline there. Uh, in the beginning, I've, I, I took great interest in it and I did research and I, I learned more and more about that world of elite travelers and uh, extreme travelers. What was the real transition? I guess I was toying with the idea. I wasn't planning it as something I was going to do. I was just pondering, like, okay, what would a budget be? What what kind of budget would cover every country in the world? And uh, what would you pack? And what would the routing be? I mean, if, if you're not flying, then you better have the logistics worked out pretty solid. And with that comes some bureaucracy as well. There are certain countries, if you go to them, then you're not welcome in other countries. So you need to get the order right. But then again, you're not flying. So that complicates things greatly. And then somewhere along the line, I just realized that I had a half-baked project and that I was uh, really into it. I um, I was very keen on the overall idea of going out and having an amazing adventure and doing something that no one had ever done before. And claiming that. So let's say four or five months in overall, I would say it's probably a 10 month planning period, but the first three, four, maybe five months were just, it was just me toying with the idea.
1: And you've stumbled onto some areas there that are of extreme curiosity to me. One of them is on the packing side. I mean, you must be the best packer in history <laughs> besides the green bay packers but what's your best tip for packing
0: efficiently i mean you want to make sure that you can cram as much into your bag as as possible and for that i recommend rolling your clothes uh, so i roll all my clothes And uh, that way, I also know what's clean and what's not clean. Because if it's not rolled, then uh, I probably wore it already. And it's waiting for for going into laundry. Trying to work out what can be used in more than one way is also really handy. So you're not bringing two or three items. If you can find one item that sort of covers all the bases, that's another pretty good tip. And then, I mean, for, for long distance travel... Look at what the climate is. If you're primarily going to be in warm countries, then maybe you don't need a jacket. And when you eventually do need a jacket, maybe you can just buy a cheap one locally, then you're not carrying that.
1: appreciate that. And I'm a huge fan of rolling. I've done it ever since college. I think uh, my college roommate, one of my good buddies, Alex, found or heard online somewhere that it's more efficient if you roll your clothes when packing. And I do it every time now. And it, it is. I mean, it's a great use of space. What kind of suitcase slash suitcases if you ventured into multiple did you most often take on your journey
0: well i pretty much left home with uh, what i what i came back home with (laughs) so i left home with a duffel bag um which for people who don't know what a duffel bag is it's basically uh, a roundish uh, bag with uh, one big room and you can have everything within that and then I had a small uh, day bag, just a backpack that I could bring with me. So the the duffel bag would go under the bus or on top of the bus and the train and that kind of stuff. And then the day bag would have uh, my essentials, uh, anything that I really just couldn't lose or didn't want to lose or something that I would need on a everyday basis. And I could have that between my legs while sitting in buses and trains and on board ships.
1: I was going to be shocked if you said like, oh, we have... We took seven large rolly bags that we would take <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> no, definitely got to keep it, keep it tight there. And then you mentioned budget as well. I, I think anybody who hears your story, that's probably one of the most, the biggest things they're wondering about is how in the world you're able to fund this slash raise money for it and like not go completely bankrupt somewhere in this past a decade. How did you pull that off?
0: With great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent some time going through blogs and talking to people and finding out what uh, people who'd gone for many months and sometimes years of, of, of traveling, what kind of budgets they had set themselves. And I worked out that 20 US dollars per day as an average budget, that should cover my basis. So that would cover transportation, accommodation, meals and visas. Those four elements within $20 a day. But then some days I wouldn't spend any money whatsoever. Some days I'd just spend 8 or $12 or $10, who knows. Other days I would have to buy a visa and it would run me 150 US dollars. So a bit of up and down. So where was that money going to come from? Well, I didn't want to pay for this project. It, uh, I was pretty set on that someone would have to be interested enough to fund the budget. I didn't want to come home after several years and be in debt, uh, especially not at my age. I was 34 years old um, when I set out, so I'm thinking it would take four years. I'd And back. now you're 74. No, <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, no 76. And so so I thought I'd be back when I was 38 and I thought that was not a good age to come back home and be in debt. So really, I I figured something that size and something uh, that interesting uh, that should be able to draw in sponsors or partners. And um, very quickly, I found Ross Engineering and Ross Engineering is a Danish company with focus on geothermal energy, so sustainable energy. And they thought it was a crazy idea. And it was so crazy they had to be a part of it. So I left home and uh, had them backing me. But then unfortunately, a couple of years in, they, uh, they they couldn't back me financially anymore. They had to hold on to their finances. It was difficult times. The oil prices were real low and that was sort of changing the market for them. So uh, I had to work something out. And I started spending my own money and I spent all of it and I did a crowdfunding campaign and uh, people, they started donating and I did a little bit of work along the way. And then eventually Ross Engineering came back on again. So it's really been a mix of corporate sponsorship and uh, self-funding and donations.
1: So you, you've learned a ton now. It's like you could have a whole separate career in uh, fundraising, or maybe just entrepreneurship in general, because you know how to <laughs> how to survive and how to raise money in that in that world. Yeah, I'm curious about. Well, I'm endlessly curious, uh, as you are, but really curious about your planning phase for this. So, like, you know, you need to get to every country in the world. I don't know if there's like a best route to do that. Like how how did you decide like what countries slash continents you would hit first
0: and, and go from there? Yeah, that's a good question as well. I I was looking at the map and trying to work out what made sense. And I knew that I wanted to leave the Pacific Ocean towards the end because it consists of a lot of small island nations and vast distance in between. There would be no ferry connections, so there would be no easy access. Uh, by buying a ticket and and reaching those destinations. So my theory was that towards the end of the project, I would have the largest uh, amount of attention, both through media and uh, social media, but also that it would provide incentive that if you go to someone and say, I really need to get on a ship to go to Island X, then uh, then they'll say, okay, How far down the line are you? They say, I've been to eight countries already. They go like, oh, get out of here. But if if you say I have eight countries left, I've been to a hundred and something countries, then I think there is a higher likelihood that people, they would step in and say, "Okay, let's get you to the last few countries. I can help out. I know somebody. So the Pacific towards the end, I'm from Denmark. That's in the north of Europe. Uh, open borders and uh, small countries and really good logistics so I decided well I was going to do the, the bigger part of Europe to begin with and then I was going to go north west across the Atlantic Ocean and get to North America which I figure is pretty much similar in many ways in terms of culture and uh, I know the language so that's helpful and then I'd been to Central America before, so I figured, OK, well, then Central America will lead me into South America. I'd never been to South America before. And then once I'm done with South America, then the Caribbean. And then the Caribbean would be a precursor for the Pacific. It would give me some idea about trying to find vessels and, and do the island hopping thing. And uh, yeah, that, that wasn't easy at all. But uh, it was a lot easier than the Pacific, that's for sure. And uh, eventually I was done with uh, the Western Hemisphere, you know. (laughs) So then come east again over the Atlantic and get into Africa. And then Africa holds more than 25% of the world's countries. Africa has 54 countries. So starting in Northwest Africa and then doing West Africa and that connects down to Central Africa and South Africa and East Africa. And then there are some island nations in the Indian Ocean and come back into East Africa and head up to North Africa, finish the African continent, then back in Europe, finish off the Eastern part of Europe, which brings me into the Middle East and then clock the countries within the Middle East. And Middle East is a part of Asia. So we just continue through Central Asia and Central Asia ties it over to East Asia. And then into Southeast Asia and Southeast Asia eventually spat me out into the South Pacific and then South Pacific, North Pacific. And then my plan was to finish off with New Zealand, Australia, Sri Lanka and Maldives. But then, of course, we had a global pandemic and it changed the order of uh, the remaining island nations.
1: Because of COVID and lockdown and everything, you were stuck in... Was it, was it pretty much the entirety The entirety of, of it was Hong Kong?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was in Hong Kong for two years. Uh, the pandemic lasted a lot longer for me than it did for most other people because I arrived in Hong Kong before it was announced as a global pandemic. At, at that time, it was a virus outbreak in Wuhan, in China. And because of that... A lot of countries, they shut their borders towards greater China. So I was in Hong Kong and that counts as greater China along with Macau, which seems really unfair because there were no cases or there was nothing to be worried about with anyone coming in and out of of Hong Kong. But that was just the way it was. So that's really where it started for me. And then a few months later, it was worldwide and it was announced a global pandemic. And then after two years in Hong Kong, I managed to continue. But the global pandemic was still not called off by the WHO. And uh, most of my remaining countries still had their border borders sealed um, with, with and COVID restrictions. And there were COVID restrictions for the container ships, which was my main form of transportation to get to these island nations. So I had an additional year of hardship dealing with uh, the conditions under a global pandemic while most of the world had moved on in one way or the other.
1: It just goes to show, what's that that famous line of, anything that can go wrong will go wrong? And for (laughs) you, (laughs) you're planning this out. You're (laughs) planning to go to every country in the world. Probably nowhere in your mind did you think there was going to be something that took over the world and... Would literally shut down borders. Like it's just unbelievable. No, no, it's on that that
0: list where you go: World War Three, alien invasion, global pandemic. Nah, none of that's gonna happen. (laughs) Like, why would it? But uh, yeah, surprise.
1: (laughs) Big, big surprise. How about transportation? So, how many forms of transportation did you take throughout this journey?
0: Ah, a lot. (laughs) How how many? Most, most of them. I would suspect. Uh, The overall idea was that I was going to conduct the project with uh, public transportation wherever possible, and that meant that the bulk of my transportation lies within buses and trains and uh, ships, I, sh- I should say. But but overall, the idea was buses, trains, and ferries. Um, however, that's just not going to be good enough for going everywhere. So, yeah, lots of taxis, many, many shared taxis. You would be surprised how many people you can get into a Toyota Corolla in some parts of the world. <laughs> and... Uh, I mean I've been with a tugboat, I've been with a high performance yacht, I've been with fishing boats and trolls, I've been with so many different types of vessels that it's it's ridiculous. But and there's so many different types of buses. Uh small buses, big buses, double deckers. <laughs> um, but but people know buses, people know trains, and that's basically what connects most of the world.
1: So after this crazy experience what would you say your favorite form of transportation is
0: i would have to say container ship i really enjoy being on the container ship same so, yeah I'm just <laughs> <laughs> they i they give me a cabin everyone has their own cabin and uh then sometimes i get a big cabin sometimes i get a a decent size. there's no small cabin you know if you can close the door you have some quiet time for, for to yourself you have uh uh, a porthole and you can look out and look at the ocean or look at the port or whatever's out on the other side of the of the glass. You have a, a toilet and shower. You have a bed, you have a closet, you have a desk, you have a couch. Um, it's really comfortable. There's a, most of the container ships have a, a gym on board and you can go and work out. There is a, a room for entertainment where there will be some, maybe a PlayStation or there will be a, uh, a television set and, and a DVD player or, or something and watch movies and play games. You can go up on the bridge and talk to the officers and look across the ocean. I mean, you get to stretch your legs. Uh, usually these ships are so big that they don't move too much about in, in the ocean and the current and the waves. So yeah, I prefer that, but that's not a conventional form of transportation for most people so if I would have to go with something more conventional I would say a train I like the idea that you can move around that you're not locked into one seat
1: (laughs) right well I was going to ask if you're somebody who gets seasick but you kind of alluded to the fact that I guess these ships are so big that it doesn't move too much on it
0: you can get seasick on a container ship for sure Um, you could get seasick on anything (laughs) as it turns out (laughs) I, gen- sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> I generally do not get seasick, but uh, I've, I've been seasick plenty over the course of, of almost a decade and as many vessels that I've been on board. Um, I found that I generally f- get seasick quickly if I'm dehydrated, if I'm exhausted, if I haven't had enough sleep, I think it is as well. So dehydrated, exhausted, and not enough sleep then uh, it doesn't take a lot to get me seasick.
1: If you're seasick of boring newsletters that don't have any podcasting tips, don't have any entrepreneurship tips, don't have any terrible puns, uh, then you are actually in the right place. You can sign up for the Podcasting to the Max newsletter. That is at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter. Guarantee you will enjoy it much more than your average email. And, And actually, you won't get seasick reading it unless you're on. A giant container ship traveling across the world possibly you never know everyone's different you can sign up at maxpodcasting.com slash newsletter you get a helpful podcast editing freebie for doing that as well now let's get to some more amazing facts about how in the world <laughs> literally in the world Thor pulled this off as well as groovy questions submitted by wild listeners there's another element of all this, which I think might be the most difficult or difficult to believe, is that you're married and you <laughs> you did this all long distance
0: with yeah. your wife. How did that work? It worked really well. I mean, I'm unsure if I could have done this if I didn't have her in my life. Uh, she's my anchor and uh, she ties me to the ground and to Denmark And uh, she's been a tremendous support. I mean, it's been really lonely and uh, I've been misunderstood a lot as I went from one country to the next. And I think the overall concept of what I did is just so hard for most people to grasp. It it takes a lot of time for most people to sort of understand the accomplishment. Um, So I've had her and I've had her support and I've had her love. And that's been really, really important to me uh obviously long distance relationships i don't know how obvious that is but i think people who've been in long distance relationships they know it's it's not always easy it's it's a lot easier when you can be in the same room and you can you can read each other and read the room as the expression goes i mean when you're on a screen or or just audio uh, things become a little little tougher and uh, the distance, not being able to give each other a hug or hold hands, and that kind of stuff, uh, can can make it really, really rough, especially as as time goes on. But I think we're good at it, and we were good at it, and uh, now we're back together, and we somehow find that, in spite of the distance, we grew closer together.
1: Yeah, that's that's really nice, and you hear, <laughs> I mean, especially here and. In- in the states, you hear about long-distance relationships where, if you know, a couple lives a couple hours away from each other, like that becomes really tough on the day-to-day. And in your case, you might be <laughs> all the way around the world, you know, for for months, years at a time. Um, so it's it's a really tough thing, but it's also really uplifting to hear that you know, like you, <laughs> it's because of her that you're able to keep pushing on, and that you guys, you know, w- worked out great and, and and powered through that. If you were to look back and start all over again, which I, I mean, I'm exhausted just thinking of that. I can't even imagine how exhausted you are to be like, yeah, to to start over from scratch. But what would you do differently if you were embarking on this from day one?
0: I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. I, I turn around and go, Nope. <laughs> go home and unpack my bags <laughs> Uh, but, that I mean, that's with the knowledge that I have today that it would take me almost a decade and uh, that my life would be at risk several times and that it wouldn't be as enjoyable as it might seem on uh, the preface of it all and that there would be a tremendous amount of work. I mean, a normal working week for a lot of people is uh, somewhere around 40 hours. This project was probably never really less than 60 hours a week and sometimes way above 100 hours. And then people might scratch their head and go like, work? Like, what kind of work? Well, you, you, you have to do research everywhere you go. You have no idea... Uh, When you come to a new country, uh, if if you can get on a bus or a train or where you get your ticket or how you get a SIM card in a new country and how you install it, where you're going to sleep, where you're going to eat, especially when you're on a budget, you can't just eat or sleep anywhere. And uh, I met with the Red Cross in every country around the world. So get in touch with them and. Find my way to their address, sit down, have a meeting, then observe and learn something and write up a story, uh, run social media. So, I mean, most people alive today have some sort of social media, but they have social media for pleasure. So they bake a cake and then they'll upload that or they go traveling and they'll upload that. It is different when you have uh, tens of thousands of followers, then social media eventually becomes a job. You are feeding content you're trying to keep this audience uh, happy and and interested in what you're doing but it's also a platform to promote uh, project partners and there's some expectations for that I mean getting all the visas and securing everything you need to do throughout that that was a lot a lot a lot of work and I didn't know that I I suspect a lot of people uh, listening in to our conversation now wouldn't be aware of of that. It was essentially leaving home saying that it was 99% adventure and 1% work. But then many of the things that seemed to be adventure in the beginning turned into work over time. So after a couple of years, it was 99% work and 1% adventure. And then it continued for almost another eight years. Um, Yeah, no, I, I definitely wouldn't do it. But there's (laughs) there's a a paradox within it because I do not want to be without the knowledge that I have today because of what I spent the last decade doing. And I I also don't want to be without the accomplishment. I'm very happy with who I am today and uh, and what I've learned and how I've developed as, as a human being. So... You don't get that without doing what I just did, or I, I wouldn't get that without doing what I just did. So that's the paradox. I don't want to do it, but I'm happy with the results uh, that I got out of it. But I do understand your question. So to to go back to your question, like what? Exactly, okay, so knowing what I know now and if I had to do it again, what would make it easier? I, I think... uh getting SIM cards for every country would make it so much easier. The first couple of years I was uh, trying to find Wi-Fi and and try to save the cost of a sim card and reality is that you can get sim cards especially today you can get them so cheap you easily get uh, like five gigabytes and, and a sim card for just a few dollars in many countries so just do that and that would make everything so much easier and then i would uh, have left home with a laptop and not with an iPad. Back in 2013, the iPad was a sort of a new thing. And it just seemed like a really, really good idea. It was small and lightweight. And uh, you could do a lot of things on, on an iPad or on a tablet. But the reality with the workload was just that I, I needed a laptop. It was so much easier in terms of of getting so many things done. So I would have brought a laptop from the beginning, knowing what I know now. And then in terms of the partnerships uh, that I had throughout the project, a lot of that was based on handshakes and gentleman agreements. And that's all good and fine for a lot of things. But as the project went on um, over the course of many, many years... There were some disputes over time, and I think it would have been easier to settle them if we sat down before I left home and found out what kind of expectations we had. Like what what the partners expected from me and what I expected from the partners and and just write that down and be really clear about um, who does what, when and how. So you don't get those uh, small disputes along the way. Like that's some of the stuff that I would, I would do differently. Obviously, I know today some of the visas I struggled greatly in getting. Today, I know how I could have gotten them. So I just go straight for that or get them in the countries where I found them to be easier. Um, I mean, some of the islands where I was looking for solutions, how to get there. Today, I know how I did that. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't spend weeks or months trying to work it out. I'd just go to where I found the solution so
1: this would take you like three weeks to just knock out every country at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have all the knowledge.
0: <laughs> There's the, 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 the fastest to go to every country in the world uh, has done it in about a year, right? And that's someone who flew basically everywhere, right? Uh, could you go to every country in the world without flying in a year? No, prob- probably not. But you might be able to pull it off in, say, a couple of years but not on your own. If you have a team that's organizing, getting the visas and uh, telling you which ship to go to and making all the deals in advance and you're just running around with a backpack and following orders from someone who's coordinating everything on your behalf and opening all the doors, yeah, you, we might be able to do it in a couple of years. It wasn't unrealistic to do this in four years. I absolutely believe I could have done it in four years, but the the, the project is so much richer Because of the way that I did do it with the speaking engagements and the interviews and the Red Cross visits and having my wife come out and visit several times compared to just racing through countries. So, yeah, then it takes a lot more time. But three weeks is maybe a little on the short side.
1: (laughs) There should be a... A spin-off of the show, The Amazing Race, which is the, I don't know, The Amazing Thor or something <laughs> that like where people have to mimic your journey. Uh, that, that I think there's, a, there's something to, to build on there. Yeah. You mentioned that your life was at risk multiple times. Uh, is, is there one of those times that you can share with us?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, three of the ships that I have traveled on board are confirmed to be at the bottom of the sea today. So there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. There are ships that are in so poor condition that you're no longer debating if they're going to sink or not. Everybody knows the ship's going to sink. That's how the ship is going to end its life. It's when it's going to sink and it's going to take passengers with it to the bottom of the sea. Everybody knows that. That's how poor condition some of these ships are in. Now, the question is, when is it going to sink? Is it going to sink the next time it heads out or is it going to sink... After ten round, uh, ten trips, or maybe next year, or who knows? Nobody knows. So it's sort of like Russian roulette with ships, and uh, you call these soul sellers. So essentially, your soul is for sale if you go on board. <laughs> There's no safety equipment. They they they're completely overloaded with cargo and with passengers. Uh, there might be a hole in the side of the ship. The service on the engine is probably really poor. I imagine that the staff, the crew, the, a lot of them don't really know why they're there. <laughs> and especially if you get into an emergency situation, they don't have any proper training. So, so you're risking your life with that. Uh, overall, looking at the world, the most dangerous part of this planet is by far transportation. Uh, There are some countries where traffic is just madness and public transportation, you get into a bus, maybe you get a good bus driver, maybe it's a good bus, maybe the brakes are fine and the air pressure is good and everything is as it should be. or. Maybe you get into a bus and the driver has been in that bus for the past 18 hours and is lacking sleep and he had a fight with his uh, wife the night before and he's thinking about that more than traffic. Maybe the, the brakes do not work. <laughs> maybe this, maybe that. Um, I mean, traffic is, is, is a higher risk um, in some parts of the world. Uh, and the roads and potholes and driving on the sides of, of mountains where there's a sheer drop off on one side of the bus or the train or something else. It's really beautiful. It's great for photos and videos, but it is it is risky business in some parts of, of of the world. I've been at gunpoint several times. I've been at gunpoint one time where it was so serious that I thought it was the end of the line. Also, because they told me it was the end of the line. <laughs> and, uh, I, I really, really thought, okay, I'm dying tonight on this dirt road in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, I, yeah, and I managed to get out of that just staying calm and. Being patient, I guess. I don't know. Um, no quick movements and no aggression on my part. Just trying to be as calm and complicit as possible. And after about forty-five minutes, they they let me go. That was really, really, really long—forty-five minutes. But being at gunpoint uh, several times has has been a risk factor. I had cerebral malaria. That's the type of malaria where the parasites, they reach your brain and uh, you can die within a couple of days of that if you're not treated. So fortunately, um, we caught on to it pretty quickly and got me to a clinic and I was treated and it took me a long time to get on top of that um, and recover. But yeah, yeah, my life's been at risk uh, a few times, but but in the big picture, it's nothing compared to we're talking more than 3500 days of of travel time. Um, I I've been as safe as as a baby in in most cases.
1: So as if you haven't been through enough. Let's wrap up. We'll use the remainder of this time for some, some rapid fire Q&A and this is a special edition <laughs> because we have questions submitted by wild listeners. So you ready for it? You up for the challenge? Yeah yeah let's go all right let's get wild and so uh as i alluded to so these are submitted by people who are fans of the show as well as connect on social media and uh thank you everybody who submitted questions I was just blown away by the outpour of questions submitted and i'm sure still getting questions uh submitted throughout this interview so sorry if we didn't get to everybody but we're running through a bunch of them here so this first one's from kristen o'brien who asks which country had the best food
0: uh for me i would say italy and uh, italy is a very large mediterranean country so it's not just pasta and pizza which can also be good but it's really good meat and really good fish and great vegetables and fruit as well i like italy but yeah plenty of good food countries
1: it's so good yeah i could eat italian food all the time kareem khalil shout out yaza foods says which country would you definitely want to go back to one day
0: Mm, Mongolia Uh, The reason why is because it's a huge country And it's culturally diverse and different from where I come from And I was there in the winter time And I was struggling greatly with both logistics and bureaucracy at the same time So almost my entire visit was consumed with logistics and bureaucracy And I really didn't get to explore such an interesting country To the level that I really wanted to
1: just you saying the terms logistics and bureaucracy like makes me want to go take a nap. Like I'm I'm worn out <laughs> just to hear that. <laughs> All right. Angie Cowger, shout out Custer Stan. asks, were you ever in a country that you were afraid in?
0: Yeah. Um, several countries. Um, I ended up having good experiences and meeting nice people and coming out a much richer person than when I went in. But I'd say... Uh, i mean there were several (laughs) there was yemen yemen is an extraordinarily beautiful and interesting and, and rich in history and culture but it's also a very complex country these days so i yemen and south sudan especially at the time when i went into south sudan it was really hairy Uh, I met some wonderful people and I had a good time and I saw some beauty but I was scared when I was there Uh, Venezuela uh, Venezuela is one of my uh, its on the list of one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to and it's interesting and people are friendly and I ended up having a brilliant time but I was warned about going to Venezuela and uh, for good reason I just didn't experience anything bad while I was there
1: and then Brooke Calafi and Rob Mattson, both asked a pretty similar question, so I grouped them together. But what's the number one commonality or or similarity that you see across all people and cultures?
0: We're driven towards the same things. Uh, People, they react to music. People love music. Uh, People, they love good food. And they spend a lot of time with family and sports These are the things that most people they they spend on games, games, sports, music, family, school, education, work. Uh, You know that's who we are all around the world in different forms. Yes, but overall, it's it's the same.
1: And then Caesar Romero, he he labeled this as an impossible question. So good luck. But which country is your favorite?
0: Whichever country you're from, and I'm I'm (laughs) capable of explaining why, because I went to every country in the world trying to promote every country in the world as if it was the best country in the world. And that forced me to look for what was good and what was interesting and uh, what was unique about each individual. So I get in trouble if I'm sitting together with someone from Finland and someone from China and someone from Canada and someone says, what's your favorite country? But, But overall, whichever country you're from, that's my favorite country. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I, I happen to agree. No, I, I think
1: you made the impossible question possible. So that was a good one. And then we have a couple more that these are from my family, actually some cousins. So Mel Taylor asks, what foreign language was the most helpful in your travels? Or do you wish that you knew because it would have been very valuable?
0: It would have been good to know Russian. Um, I speak English fairly well and uh, I I would say I would say very well yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you that's truly an international language and you will find people in every country every country in the world who speaks English sometimes it's a lot of people sometimes it's not a lot of people but there's always someone who speaks English and uh, I speak German I have good and bad days (laughs) <laughs> so for for german sometimes i feel like oh, i'm really good at german sometimes i feel like i oh. but but i can get by speaking german and it's been helpful around the world not as helpful as english at all i speak a bit of french and a bit of spanish and uh, i would love to know those languages to the full extent because my conversations would have been so much richer than just asking for where's the bus terminal and I need a place to sleep. But with Russian, when especially in Central Africa. So the main thing about languages is that a lot of countries have their own language. Um like in Denmark we speak Danish and in Germany they speak German. But in Denmark, we have our international language, which is English. And then we can they teach us in school and we can travel around the world and speak to people in, in English. And the Germans would do the same. So a lot of the time it would be easier for Danes and Germans to speak English together. Right. Now, the go to international language for most countries around the world is English. But when you go to Central Europe, the they have their local language. So in, in Kazakhstan, they speak Kazakh. And then their international language uh, might be Russian. And then they have uh, a couple of hundred million people they can speak with because they speak Russian as their secondary language. But I don't speak Kazakh and I don't speak Russian. And then I'm a little stuffed. but you no, know, no, they're really good at English uh, in, in Kazakhstan as well. But then you have Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan, and then uh, and, and they speak their own languages, and they speak Russian. And I was kind of stumped with some of the most simple questions, like, where is this and how do I that? And you just don't have any words to get anywhere. It's
1: clear from your travels that you know how to correctly pronounce Every country's name too, which I think a vast majority of people would not be able to do.
0: <laughs> Samoa is a good one, by the way. So Samoa, you read it, you say Samoa, but it's saamoa Samoa, or Kiribati. Kiribati is spelled Kiribati, but it's pronounced Kiribati. There are several countries like that. <laughs> oh my god!
1: That's how you could teach a whole. College course on just pronouncing co- uh, country names. I almost said college names. <laughs> and then last one, Amber Goddard asks, what's your best memory from this?
0: Uh, I think it's from sitting on top of a truck for two days in Congo and together with 50 or 60 other people. And that was a really miserable Experience. It was pretty much two days of, of misery and dust and heat and sweat and just being uncomfortable. But there was a 15-minute window when the sun was setting and everyone began to sing. And it was such a beautiful song in local language, a beautiful melody. And uh, it was really, truly beautiful with the sun setting in, in this dusty, dusty atmosphere that we were in. So it was just 15 minutes of magic. I think that's my favorite memory.
1: That's that's really nice. That's really sweet. And I think sometimes that uh, like it applies to so many parts of life as like if it's a a challenging time you're going through or like a just like a real struggle slog through something like there often are like moments of beauty in that and they also stand out or you learn from it. On, on that note, what is the biggest way that your journey with Once Upon a Saga has changed you?
0: Well, I'm 10 years older. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty big that's change true, but that would happen anyway <laughs> that would happen anyway but that is a big change I think I'm much more at peace with who I am and I think I'm more tolerant as a person I'm tolerant towards other people I have much better understanding about why people are upset or just a range of emotions that people go through in, in everyday life, that understanding that it might not relate to me, it might not be my fault if they're upset or if they're annoyed, it could be something else, um, having that understanding about people. And then I see the world as a whole. I think we're heading towards trouble because we seem incapable of collaborating and working together across the planet. But we are we are just people. Uh, all around the world people are just people and there's a lot of kindness and generosity and there's a lot of love on on this planet Um, not necessarily always across borders but but certainly between individuals and uh, it's nice to see and know
1: yeah that's a really really great message finally how did you celebrate when you completed and accomplished your journey
0: yeah, I was fortunate to find a ship all the way back home to Denmark, and that was a 33-day long voyage from Malaysia oh to... God.
1: I thought you were going to say 33 hours, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's a long trip. <laughs> no. 33
0: days. But it was, it was a really nice way to come back. Uh, so it was from Malaysia to the port of Aarhus in Denmark, and we were passing so many countries and all of that was just packed with memories of places I've been and people I've met, So I was slowly coming back home. And then when we did reach the port, there was uh, international media. There was national media. There were about 150 people. Uh, There was a marching band playing when the saints come marching home. And (laughs) and, uh, it was a really nice uh, welcome uh, back home. And then uh, once I'd given a small speech and done a lot of photos and <laughs> that kind of stuff and received a lot of wonderful gifts from so many people. Uh, my wife was there and uh, she'd rented a car and we got into the car and we drove away from all of that madness and we drove down to a small marina nearby and we found a very a wonderful little restaurant and we had some traditional uh, Danish food and we just sat there in, in each other's company and uh, and then I was back home in Denmark.
1: Oh, that's really sweet. Oh, a wonderful way to end and celebrate. Thor, thank you so much. This has been an absolute treat. And you mentioned at the start that curiosity was a big driver of this. And uh, I, I, I'm endlessly curious and fascinated by everything that you've done and, and learned. And I know so many people are as well. So thank you for, for sharing it all with us and, and coming on today. Where is the best place for people to learn more about Once Upon a Saga and to connect with you online, see pictures, all that stuff.
0: Well, I have a new web page up, which is really interesting. Uh, It's called Thor Peterson. So go and look at that. Um, Search on the internet, search for Thor, every country in the world without flying. I'm sure something will pop up. There is uh, Facebook, there's Instagram, there is Twitter, which is X now. There's X there's uh, YouTube, there's TikTok. I mean, I'm not the greatest content creator in the world, but you can find me on all of that. And uh, com exists, and you can go and read about my visit to your country.
1: Perfect. And that's Thor Peterson. I think we, most of us know how to spell Thor Peterson. Your spelling is P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N. And again, not going to mess with Danish pronunciation at all. Anyway, (laughs) last thing here. Final thoughts. The stage is yours. It could just be a quote or kind of a final line, word of advice, words to live by. Send us home here.
0: All right. Well, since we didn't get into talking much about the Red Cross and since I did spend a tremendous amount of time as a goodwill ambassador of the Danish Red Cross uh, throughout that entire journey, I would say that it is the world's largest humanitarian organization. It's on this planet to do good and help people all around the world. And uh, I would ask people to get involved with the Red Cross one way or the other, maybe donate blood, donate your time become a volunteer, uh, find some way to help and support this uh, humanitarian effort across the globe.
1: Thank you, Thor, for doing so much good and for sharing your once-in-a-lifetime, I'm sure once-in-a-lifetime journey with us here today. And thank you, Wild listeners, for one, submitting so many awesome questions, and two, listening to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one or submit more wildly good questions, you can follow the Wild Business Growth Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And make sure to tell a friend about the podcast and do good and do some good exploring with them. You can also find us on Good Pods. The term good is is very prevalent here where there are really good podcasts. And for any help with podcast production, you can learn more at good. No, I'm just kidding. You can learn more at maxpodcasting.com and sign up for the podcasting to the max newsletter that's at max slash newsletter until next time let your business run wild bring on the bongos